0: In South Africa, the sun rises and falls every day over Shlushluwe Mfalozi Park. One of the oldest Big Five wildlife sanctuaries on the continent, the park is home to some of the most historically loved but hunted animals in the world. Lions, leopards, black rhinos, African bush elephants, and the African buffalo. All five of these animals are classified as either near-threatened, vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered on conservation lists and are luckily receiving some much-needed protections at this wildlife refuge. As the parks website puts it, the land is old, the culture is rich. And the culture isn't just rich because of the animals and landscape that can be found there, but also because of the people who have lived on, cultivated, and called this land home for thousands of years. And just like people in other parts of the world, South Africans are fighting to keep their land rights, by advocating against environmental injustice, climate change, and corporate takeovers. Today, we're gonna to follow the environmental justice movement to South Africa, starting less than 20 miles away from Shlu Shluwe in Park in a rural village called Samkile, where activism began to stop the expansion of a Tindele coal mine. I'm Tamara Hill, and welcome to Right the Wrong, a podcast for people who love true crime, care about understanding the world, and care even more for the people who fight to make that world better. This episode may contain language, scenarios, and situations that aren't suitable for all audiences. Please prioritize yourself while you listen. Of October twenty second, twenty twenty, was a normal night for Fakile, and as usual, she prepared dinner for her grandson, who was out front playing with the dogs and a couple of friends. As the podcast "Boots on the Ground" behind South Africa's national headlines tells us, Fakile talked on the phone with her close friend Victor Longa. As devout a Christian as she was, a grandmother, she was enjoying a gospel song Victor had called to tell her about and play for her while she cooked. It was then that the night took a turn with Victor on the other end of the receiver and Faquile's grandson outside to hear the commotion, both unable to see the violence or act to stop it. Multiple reports explain, though with some discrepancies, that three to four men arrived at Faquile's house, asked her grandson and his friends where she was because they wanted to say hello and greet her. Then they entered the home, fired six shots, and fled the scene. While her grandson and his two friends were left physically unharmed, Fakile was killed, in what many call an assassination. The day after her assassination, 17 South African NGOs released a joint media statement on the Center for Environmental Rights website, agreeing that a hit was placed on Fakile because of her advocacy against the expansion of the Tindele coal mine operation. Her daughter, Maelongelo, thinks so too. Maelongelo and these NGOs claim that before she was murdered, Tendele was pressuring the MFLOZI Community Environmental Justice Organization, also called MCJO for short, to agree to drop their lawsuit concerning the expansion of the Tendele coal mine. The expansion required the relocation of 21 families in Fakiles' community from their ancestral lands, where their families had lived for generations. And while Fakile was not a member of one of the 21 families in danger of relocation, as the vice chairperson for one of MC Joe's subcommittees, she refused to sign that agreement. She was worried the agreement only benefited Tindeli as a company, not the affected families, and certainly not the environment that they would be expanding into. She reiterated, quote, I cannot sign. I cannot sell out my people. And if need be, I will die for my people. Other members of the subcommittee Fakile vice-chaired signed the agreement without her knowledge or instruction. When she found out, she told them that they had no right or authority to make decisions or sign agreements in the name of the organization. This betrayal seemingly continued. These same subcommittee members continued to have secret meetings with Tendele, and according to the NGO joint statement, eventually these members, who were supposed to be allies to Fakile, Bribed her with money in exchange for her silence. They allegedly offered her 350,000 South African Rand, which is almost 23,000 US dollars. Her daughter told Rachel Humphreys of The Guardian's Today in Focus podcast that this agreement actually came from officials at the mine. And in addition to money, Fakile was promised that her daughter would be given a job, her two grandchildren would be placed in the nicest schools of her choice and that she would be relocated to a home in the area of her choosing. However, Tendele maintains that the framing of these offers as a bribe for silence is lying and misleading. They say the company offers all people who have to relocate for the expansion of the mine money and assistance of various kinds to aid in their transition. Bribe or legitimate offer. Fakile rejected the agreement. And just a few days before she was murdered, she made clear she was going to write and sign an affidavit, detailing the bribery to use as further evidence in the court case against the mining company. Like many defenders, Fakile experienced many death threats, though she never really took them seriously until shortly before she was murdered. According to MC Joe's parent organization, the Global Environmental Trust, on October 15th, a week before Fakile's murder, Two subcommittee members crashed an MC Joe executive committee meeting with two known hitmen in tow. They tried to lock the meeting attendees inside and physically assaulted at least one community leader. A member who was present there that night said that during the attack, one of the hitmen kept saying in Zulu, there will be bloodshed. After the October 15th attack at the MC Joe meeting, and leading up to the October 22nd attack on Fakile, Fakile and her family noticed things mysteriously disappearing from their yard, and their dogs began barking nightly, as if at an unseen threat. Though a criminal investigation is ongoing, to those that cared most about Fakile, it's clear that she was betrayed by people she had thought at one point she could trust. The question I asked myself researching up until this point was, what betrayal could be so worthwhile? It required the murder of a beloved grandmother while her grandson was just a few feet away. And I can't answer this question for certain. But my experience and research leads me to believe that the importance of money and economic security might be strong contenders. Like most of the world, a significant portion of South Africa's economy has been and is still dependent on mining. Multiple minerals are mined in South Africa, including coal, platinum, gold, and diamonds. The Mineral Council for South Africa says that in 2019, the coal industry alone employed more than 92,000 people, produced 258.9 million metric tons of coal, and brought in more than $9.1 billion in sales. Mai told The Guardian that she felt like other community members were afraid her mother's advocacy against the mine was endangering jobs and financial security in the community. As reported by Fred Cockett and Matthew Hadding for Ground Up in 2020, the expansion of the coal mine would bring with it the addition of 1,600 jobs to the local economy. And as we know, Tendele had been providing a payout to families who needed to be removed from the land for the mine to expand. The same authors documented in a 2020 Daily Maverick article that Tendele's CEO, Jan Dupree's, said that the average payout that homeowners receive is equivalent to about 48500 U.S. dollars. Dupree's estimated that for many, payouts ranged from 2 to 10 times more than the market value of their homes. Though, some families have documented being forced from their homes unwillfully and actually losing out on money, because Tendele compensates families for their physical homes and belongings, but does not compensate for the cost of land loss. Hundreds of families were offered payouts to relocate and make way for Tindele's newest expansions in the region. And when this Daily Maverick article was released in November 2020, 19 families were still holding their own against the mine's expansion in Faquile's community. Despite the heavy concentration of poverty in the area, some community members, like Fakile, were concerned with more than money. They were concerned about what the expansion of the mine would mean for their prosperity, for the health of their bodies, livestock, and water for the future of their families and their ancestral lands that they had been calling home for centuries. The saw what communities in Samkile were going through and worried that the effect of the mine would be similar if it expanded into her own community. Community members also worried about those that would be left behind. Kristen Ewens, the executive director of All Rise, and a community lawyer for the area Tindele wants to expand into in South Africa, explains to TRT World that only those who live less than 500 meters from the mine pit are relocated. Everyone else in the vicinity just has to deal with the negative impacts of the mine, and that leaves thousands of people exposed to harm from pollution. In a report that Human Rights Watch calls scathing, the South African Human Rights Commission details the socio-economic impacts of mining in local communities. The commission used a national hearing process, visited communities, and listened to the testimonies of various people in South Africa who have been affected by mining. I'm going to read you a short excerpt from their conclusion. Quote, "Overall, the mining sector in South Africa is riddled with challenges related to land, housing, water, the environment," And an absence of sufficient participation mechanisms and access to information. End quote. They also stated that issues faced by mining communities are made worse by quote, noncompliance, the failure to monitor compliance, poor enforcement, and a severe lack of coordination amongst government stakeholders. End quote. Those who spoke on their experiences told the Commission stories of rising respiratory illnesses from pollution, in addition to the loss of their land leaving them without their heritage and their main source of income. Many farmers said that the environmental impacts were plenty, including polluting water, livestock, and crops. Some farmers told Ground Up that the coal dust turns their white chickens gray and the intestines of their goats black, which I think provides some much-needed imagery. One villager told the Daily Maverick that when the mines expanded to new communities, Families actually have to dig up the graves of their loved ones and move the bodies with them if they want to keep the dead close to the living family, which in Zulu culture is extremely important. And while there aren't any quantitative studies that have been done concerning these issues, these concerns do echo what the Global Environmental Trust and Human Rights Watch heard while investigating impacts of mining in the region as well. And on this podcast, we believe people when they say they are hurting. The one-year anniversary of Fakile's murder came and went, with no arrest and no justice for the activist, who, according to various sources, was either 63 or 65 at the time of her death. MC Joe and other organizations, with all rise as their lawyers, have two court cases in the works against Tendele. The first one calls for Tendele to stop their Somkile mining operation until they obtain specific licenses and permits like environmental authorization, a waste management license, planning approval, and heritage resource permits to relocate graves. On February 9, 2021, that appeal, one of the cases that Fakile risked her life for, was dismissed by the Supreme Court of Appeals, under the grounds that the organization suing didn't note specific tendele activities that would have required an environmental authorization. Refusing to give up the fight, All Rise filed an appeal to have their case heard at the constitutional court instead, and they're still waiting for a decision on that appeal. The second case is a review of the legality of the rights Tendele was given to start their expansion in 2016, when they were given the rights to over a massive 52,300 acres of land occupied by indigenous peoples and sacred animals. Joe and All Rise claim that the rights given to Tendele were not properly acquired and that the company misled the court about their expansion intentions. So from what I can tell, in South Africa, a company like Tendele has to do a required environmental impact assessment, which has to be completed and approved by an environmental management program before they can legally apply for expansion rights. The parties say that in Tendele's assessment, The company gave the false impression that their expansion application was only for approximately 7,900 acres, a huge discrepancy. Among other issues, they also claimed that during the process, Tendele and its environmental consultants didn't properly identify and assess all of the potential socio-economic and cultural threats and impacts their expansion might cause. They contend that there wasn't any meaningful community input on the expansion, and there was no consent obtained from those that occupied land in the area. Regardless of what you want to call these details—lies, errors, inaccuracies, deceptions, or missteps—these shortcomings are ethically questionable and difficult to defend, making it possible that M.C. Joe and All Rise have a pretty strong case. Though Tendile does maintain that certain statements by Kristen Ewens and organizations attached to these lawsuits are full of inaccuracies, they released a press statement in March 2021 conceding that the mining right they were granted was invalidly obtained. They did shift the fault to the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy and made clear this mistake wasn't their doing, though. Tendele has since abandoned 92% of the land they were given in the mining right, which is a huge win for the communities fighting against them. Now, MC Joe and All Rise are fighting to protect a little over 4,300 acres of land from Tendele, and the parties are still waiting for a new hearing date to be established for that case to be heard. This was a fairly quick rundown of these court cases. If you're really interested in learning more, you'll find Tendele's statement in All Rises' Somkile Coal Mine Project fact sheet in the show notes, both of which I used heavily to piece together this quick summary. If MCJO wins this case, it would require a review of Tendele's expansion plan and require the company to reapply and do the correct procedures, like taking into consideration public polling, doing an environmental impact report, and obtaining consent from landowners, among other community-focused research. This would be another huge step in the right direction to do better by the communities in some Kile and surrounding areas. While Tendele continues to deny any wrongdoing or connection to Fikile's murder or related violence, it doesn't change the fact that activists in mining communities in South Africa are being targeted, harassed, hurt, and murdered. Fikile isn't the only one. In 2016, activist Buzuko Radibi was murdered for advocating against mining in Eastern Cape. Months before Fakile was murdered, other women in the area who opposed the mine's expansion were threatened. According to GroundUp, one received a threatening text. I'm going to read the text with a couple corrections to the grammar so it's easier to understand. If you are stubborn enough to not move, we will shoot at whomever is at your household so that you could all starve. And do not forget. We know where the breadwinner works. Another woman's house was hit in a drive-by. 19 rounds were fired into her home while her family was getting ready for bed. The Human Rights Watch 2019 report, We Know Our Lives Are in Danger, also states that several community activists appointing the Tendele Mine expansion experienced threats, physical attacks, and damage to their property that they believe are connected to their activism. One person said their car was burned. While another one said they were confronted by an angry mob of 30 people one night after leaving an advocacy meeting. That same report also makes clear that a lot of people rarely report these threats or attacks because they fear retaliation or that the police won't believe them or help them. So it's likely we'll never truly know the real scope of this issue. And if you plan on becoming a long term listener to this podcast, you'll find that this is a common occurrence for human rights defenders and those who generally experience violence. On a larger scale, The Global Witness reported that 227 land and environmental activists were murdered in 2020 alone. People are being murdered, trying to fight for land, clean water, and clean air. And if you're like me, I'm sure you're wondering what you can do to help. On Right the Wrong, I aim to uplift human rights defenders from around the world. So every season, you'll hear seven stories of seven defenders, one from each continent. But because Antarctica has no permanent human population and is facing the detrimental impacts of climate change, I'll be spotlighting environmental rights and climate justice advocates instead. And while there will always be opportunities for you to be involved in environmental rights within your own community, I'm going to try to provide ways that we can be involved and support the communities of the advocates whose stories I'm telling. And keep in mind that this is never an exhaustive list. You're free to do your own research, but these are possible places to start. First, if you want to help the environmental justice fight in sub-Saharan Africa, consider following Greenpeace Africa and signing their petition to push against environmental injustice. They estimate that over 180 million people in sub-Saharan Africa could die from climate change by the end of the century. When you sign their petition, you're pledging to support accelerating the shift towards renewable energy, phase out coal as a source of energy generation, and stop all new investments into nuclear energy in the region. Their petition goal is 2,000 signatures, and they still need almost 1,500 more. Second, in both the previously mentioned Boots on the Ground episode called Murdered Over a Mine!, and in the Guardian's Today in Focus episode, The Murder of Fakile, The Woman Who Took on a Coal Mine, you can find testimonies not only from Mylongelu Gelu and Kristen Ewens, but also other people close to Fakile and this case. I think both episodes are really well done, and if you want to listen to more insight on Fakile's murder, they are great podcasts to listen to after you finish this episode. Next, consider contacting, following, or joining any of the organizations that are working to keep Fakile's name and fight alive. Like the Center for Environmental Rights, Earth Life Africa, Women Against Mining United in Action, or Ground Up to name a few. If you're specifically interested in the ongoing court cases against Tendele, connect with AllRise. These organizations have many opportunities for engagement, virtually, in person, or financially. Even just signing up for their newsletters is a great place to start. And while those of us who are not African or do not live in these communities should enter these spaces with open hearts, minds, and ears, many organizations are open to receiving support and passion from people of all walks of life. That's the beauty of rights. They don't discriminate, and anyone who cares can be welcomed to the fight. You can find Greenpeace's petition and a list of environmental organizations in Africa to connect with in the show notes on our website. Finally, if you talk about Fakile's story on social media, please use the hashtag JusticeForFakile, which was started by those that loved Fakile to amplify her story and inform others of their ongoing fight to bring those that murdered Fakile to justice. Fakile in Shanghazi was many things to many people, but she was even more to herself. She loved singing and baking and fashion design. And she was even known to spend some of her nights sitting by the TV, watching baking shows, and designing her own clothes. And she would later bring the designs to a local seamstress in town that would make them into a reality for her. Those who knew her called her a courageous and brave entrepreneur and feminist who was dedicated to the truth. Sheila Berry of the Global Environmental Trust recounts how Fakile had a dream of learning how to make her own glass at a factory in Eswatini a dream that was put on hold because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So instead, with a true fighter spirit, she picked up a passion project, harvesting gooseberries and making homemade jams, which had become something her and other women in the community had bonded over. Sadly, these dreams never came to fruition, because she was murdered before the next harvesting season and never made it to Eswatini. Her daughter told the Sunday Times that when she lost her mother, she lost her friend and hero all in one. When Fakile was taken, her community lost a pillar, her daughter a mother, and her grandson a grandmother. I'll end with a quote by Mylon Gay when asked by Today in focused how she would want her mother to be remembered. I'd like people to remember her as a person who stood for the truth and to follow in those footsteps in whatever journey they take in life. This podcast is researched, scripted, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Tamara Hill. A full list of source material is available at rightthewrongpodcast.blogspot.com, and that link is also in the episode description box. Special thanks to the co-editor and musical producer Cy the Savage for our theme music. If you liked this episode, like, subscribe, or leave a review. I read all of your comments and it helps other future fans find the show. The artwork for Right the Wrong includes a graphic called the Universal Logo for Human Rights. This logo was created by Predrag Stakić of Serbia. The logo is open to be used by anyone at no cost to promote and protect human rights. Read more about and get access to this logo at the United Nations office for the High Commissioner of Human Rights website. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, you can find the show on Instagram at Right the Wrong Podcast, or you can use the hashtag Right the Wrong for Human Rights to engage further. Thank you for joining me on this journey to highlight the power of people and the power of us all.